0: it's really hard to read that passage of scripture because there's like so many names in there that I don't know how to pronounce. And so I get really tongue tied and and it makes me think about, it makes me realize how important these kind of lists are in our lives. These lists of things that we've done or we're doing, or maybe we were supposed to do. Like I think of, uh, in my house, there's two places where there are lists. There's the refrigerator, and then there's this dry erase board that's on the, on the uh, attic door. And on both of those places are lists of things to do. And my wife writes the lists, but can you guess whose job it is to do the things on the list? Yeah, it's me. Yeah. And... You know, I saw this mug uh, not too long ago, a coffee mug, and it said on there, if, if a man says he will fix it, don't bug him every six months about it. <laughs> uh, that was my reaction, too. I sent it to my wife, and she thought it was funny, and also she gave me a lecture afterwards. So she's not here this morning, so I can say whatever I want, and she can't give me dirty looks. Uh, But I get really excited when I start checking things off that list. Now, this could be if you're a kid too, like if you got a chore list, and your parents are always kind of like hassling you about the chore list. And then you get this like 15 minutes of courage and you just go for it. You just start knocking stuff out. Like everything sort of hits right. You had enough sleep. It's sunny outside, but it's not too sunny to where you want to go outside and do stuff. And like you just watched something or heard something that inspired you and you just start nailing all these things on the list. I immediately want to go and tell my wife about that when I knocked that list out, right? I'm like, look, babe, look what I did. I did this over here, and this. Over. She's never quite as excited as I am about it, though. So I just really get disappointed because I'm like, "Look, there's a new light slit. She's like, "That's great, good, yeah, that's been on the list for five months." I'm like, "All right, okay, but I did this too." Paul, if he was to make a list just based on this passage, it'd be pretty impressive. So let's kind of let, let's follow this and and see the kind of list of things he's knocked out here let's just call it what I did last month, right? So first, he left the brothers in Corinth and sailed for Syria. He was accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Then he arrived at Ephesus. He reasoned with the Jews. He left Priscilla and Aquila there with the church. Next, he declined to spend more time, but he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he left Ephesus and landed in Caesarea and greeted the church. Then he went down to Antioch. Then he set out and traveled from place to place through Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all of the disciples. So would you say that Paul works pretty hard? I'd say he's a pretty hardworking guy. He really gets it done. He's, he knocks out his lists of things to do uh, really quickly, and he does a whole lot of these things. So he works really hard. He's motivated by something for the things he works hard for. And the thing about it is, is no matter how hard of a worker you think you are or aren't, we all work hard at something. We all work hard at things that we are motivated by. And so what I want to ask, what I want us to think about is what is it that we are working hard for? So what, what is it when we really are thinking about what does our energy go into, what are we working really hard for? What are we giving ourselves to? And I think there's a clue in this passage about what Paul is giving himself to, what he's working hard for, as well as the other uh, people in this passage. We see a couple of people. We see Paul doing some things. We see Priscilla and Aquila doing some things. And we see Apollo. So we're going to take a look at maybe what is it that they are giving and what it is they're trying to get with what they're giving. What is their motivation behind their hard work? So here's the clue. In this passage, in the midst of all these things Paul's knocking out, it says that when the Ephesians in Ephesus, they ask him to stay longer, he declines. He says, hey, I can't stay. I got to go. But if it's God's will, then I'll come back. So Paul declines. He decides... It's time for him to go. And he says, if it's God's will, I'll come back. Now, if any of you have spent any time in the South, you've become really effective probably at using those type of phrases. Those type of phrases like, well, if it's God's will, then we'll get back together. Or if it's God's will, I'll get that job or that fancy car that I like. But I wonder what Paul meant by it. Because there's a lot of possibilities of what he could mean. We don't know, we don't see directly his intentions here in the text. Luke doesn't just give it to us and say, this is what Paul was thinking when he did this. So let's imagine for a moment why he might be declining this. Maybe he's really anxious when he stays somewhere too long. He just starts feeling feeling really anxious and he's gotta like move on. Maybe that's it because he travels a lot. He goes a lot of different places. Maybe he's playing hard to get. Maybe he's saying, no, I'm going to go. And he's secretly hoping that they'll ask again, like, oh, please, will you please stay? And he'll say, "Oh, oh, all right, I'll stay for a little bit longer. Maybe he's doing that, and they just don't ask him again. Maybe he has a good first impression But if he stays in relationship with people for any length of time, they realize, man, this guy is not, he's not cool at all. Like we don't need to be listening to anything else he says anymore, which is why pastors don't stay at churches for very long, three to five years, right? And then you move somewhere else because after three to five years, people stop listening to what you have to say anymore because they know you too well. So let's see how much time do I have left? About as much time as there is on that to-do list I've got to get to, I think. So maybe, though, maybe he was hurt. Maybe he was hurt by the church. And instead of being honest about that, he's just saying, uh, well, it's God's will for me to go somewhere else. So instead of interacting with uh, some conflict or having to show some vulnerability, then maybe he's thinking, well... uh, if this is that hard or uncomfortable for me, then maybe God's just calling me on to somewhere else. Uh, I can think about a situation in my life, and it has to do with my wife who's not here. So recently, that, it, it relates to this kind of idea, this, this kind of thing about feeling hurt and not wanting to be vulnerable and my motivations for doing these things. So we got into an argument a couple months ago, and... Um, My wife is pregnant, due really soon, and uh, due at the end of this month. And so we were going to get a, um, uh, I wanna say echocardiogram, but that's not what that's called, that's for your heart, a sonogram. And so we were arguing and then we went in and did the sonogram and it was all happy because we were at the baby. Then when we got back out, we kept arguing after that. And then we got home And I was feeling just really hurt. And I was feeling really um, like defensive. Like I had this wall up and I didn't really want to interact with her. And a lot of times she'll just leave me alone. But we've been doing a lot of work on our marriage and she was making a sandwich. And she asked me if I wanted a sandwich. And guess what I said because of how I was feeling. Guess what I said? I said, no, I don't want a sandwich. I'm fine. I'm not hungry. I was starving. (laughs) She knew I was starving too, because we had spent the morning together. And so she made me a sandwich and she brought it to me. And that was the most holy sandwich I've ever had in my marriage. It was like the presence of God moving in towards me through her. But that's not what happened with Paul. Paul didn't do that. Paul wasn't saying like, oh, I'm hurt. And uh, so I'm just going to say, well, it's God's will. And um, so then, you know, they won't ask too many questions and, and that kind of thing. He wasn't doing what so often we do, which is giving away responsibility to somebody else for something we need to do and then blaming it on God giving up abdicating responsibility for what we need to take care of in our life, and then we blame God for it. That's not what I think Paul was doing here. I think he had other intentions there. That's like, hey, I will get this job if it's God's will, even though I'm not doing anything to make that happen. See, I think Paul... Realized something. I think he realized that although he was important, he wasn't important for everything. That although he was needed for something, he wasn't needed for everything. I think he was realizing that even though he had something important to give, that he didn't need to give it everywhere all the time. I think that what he realized is something we need to realize as well, that you aren't, and I am not needed for everything, but you can make a difference in some things. So he felt like he could go, that he was free to leave because he knew he was not big, but he was still a big deal. That's something we say at Christ City. You're not big, but you're a big deal. Actually, I want you to turn to your neighbor right now, and you tell them, You're not big, go ahead, but you're a big deal. So that is what Paul understood. He knew that you aren't needed for everything, but you can make a big difference in some things. That God can be everywhere, but Paul cannot. Or, like the old folks used to say, God is God all by himself. None of y'all, none of y'all are with me right now. Give me an amen, somebody, somebody give me an amen. So what does this have to do with this idea of how we give and receive? It It has everything to do with it. Because here's the thing, in life, some of us think, some of us think that we need to be there for things to happen. That if we're not there, That everything is gonna fall apart. Some of us think the opposite, actually, that it doesn't matter if I'm there or not. Things are gonna happen the same way, regardless of if I'm there or not. Now, both of these equations come from the same belief. They come from the belief that God is a very small God. They come from the belief that God is a very small God. If you think you've got to be there to make something happen, to make sure things don't fall apart, to make sure that people can do their jobs, unless you're the manager, you should think that, right? Or in your family, that your husband or your wife can't do anything right, then you have a belief of a very small God. That God can only use you, but he can't use somebody else else to do something similar to what you can do. You're not big, but you are a big deal. You have something to contribute, but you don't contribute everything that's needed. And then some of us, we, we think God is small because we think that while there's other people who have something to contribute, that somehow God skipped over me, that I didn't get the important things, the important tools that are needed. But Paul didn't think that way because he was able to leave Ephesus. He was able to move on and say, y'all gonna be straight, you gonna be all right. I can't do everything. And in fact, I'm leaving a couple folks with you. I'm leaving Priscilla and Aquila and they know what's up. They can help you get to where you need to be. So I might send y'all a letter and it might make it into the New Testament, but hey, I'm humble about it, all right? He didn't know it was going to be in the New Testament. He was just writing a letter because he didn't need to be everywhere all at the same time. Maybe some of y'all need to write a letter. Just to... No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so think about this. This is the job of a parent. This is the job of a parent to say, I am important in this other person's life, but at some point, these folks got to be able to do some things without me there. Imagine though, if if Jesus had been a helicopter parent, if if he said, "Okay, I rose from the dead. You guys got the Holy Spirit and everything. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go, but I think I need to check in on you guys." So. Peter starts preaching. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up. He's like, no, not like that, Peter. Don't, let, let me handle this, Peter. You sit down for a minute, okay? I'm gonna take care of this. Y'all wanna hear about, wow, well, I'm the Messiah. Here I am. Boom, I'm gonna heal somebody over here too, okay? Now, Now, go ahead, Peter. And Peter starts talking again. All of a sudden, oh, Jesus interrupts him again. Imagine that. I want you to think about in your life, are there situations that you do that? Or, that you're letting somebody do that to you all the time. That you think God is so small that you've got to give everything in that situation. Or you think that God is so small that somebody else has to give it and you don't have anything important to contribute to that situation. You wouldn't leave Ephesus. You might've never been in Ephesus if that's the situation. You might've never left home. You might've never got out of your comfort zone. Now here's what I don't want anybody to hear me say, that you need to be moving around all the time, right? Some of us, we need to leave. We need to do something different. We need to allow other people to handle this thing. We think we're the only person in the world that can handle it. And we need to move on and let somebody else grow up. Let somebody else be what God made them to be. But others of us, we just need to sit still for a minute. And actually be with ourselves and realize how little it is that we trust God with anything at all in our life. So I just wanted to make sure that we don't think one of those things, because sometimes there's some of these things that are gonna be said where some people are gonna get really excited. Like, yeah, that's what I need to do. Probably not if you feel that way. If you feel some fear, if you feel some fear about it, like, oh man, I've been, I, I have, I've been giving away my responsibility. I have, I've been using God to say, hey, well, it's just that way because God wills it that way. If you feel a little bit of fear, or uncomfortableness, as you think about a situation like that, a relationship in your life, a job in your life, then there might be some action that you need to take. There might be some action that I need to take. I think that's why Paul was able to say it's God's will. Because you know what he did? He, um, he said to the Ephesians, it's God's will if I return. But you know, Paul made a lot of plans for himself, didn't he? Did he not make a lot of plans? We just looked at his list of plans. I, I, I didn't hear in the passage, God telling him to go to all of these places one by one, that God was his wife, Becky, giving him the to-do list and he was just checking it off. He made some decisions. So how is it that Paul can say that? That he could say that um, it's, it'll be God's will if I return. Because he knew, he knew that God was in charge of the overall circumstances of his life, but in the midst of that, he still had to make tough decisions. He still had to make decisions that would impact his future and that he had to take responsibility for those things. He had a maturity about him. He had a maturity about knowing how much to give say it like this, maturity for a believer is knowing how much and for how long my contribution is needed. How long and for how much, or I said that backwards, how much and for how long my contribution is needed. I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about the things that you have claimed responsibility for. Do you need to keep doing that? And do you need to do that as much Do you need to let God be God all by himself? If we're honest, we should find, if we look deep within ourselves, plenty of those situations. We didn't know when it's time to step up and when it's time to back off. You see, if I was in Ephesus and they said that to me, I would say, oh, oh, you really want me to stay? You really do? I'm going to stay. I'll stay. How long you want me to stay for? And I have to look inside and find out why would that be my response? I need to talk with other people. I need to practice my spiritual disciplines in order to become more aware of the things I'm saying are on God and they're really all about me. I'm going to do something that I I don't think I've ever done before. So if you're a first-time guest, um, this ain't the norm. But we uh, do a good job at Christ City with volunteers. And it's summertime. I'm not doing it because this summertime. I'm doing it because of this passage. Uh, we, We do a pretty good job. We have a high percentage of people within our church that volunteer. And that's really great. So... Why am I saying that? Because here's the thing. When we start to think that way, or if we continue to think that way, that when we don't feel like doing something, or something feels really good for us to keep doing, or we don't think that God can control something else that we've been keeping our hand on, then we tend to stay in the same little circles, in the same Little veins of things. It makes our thinking small. A small God has small thinking to it. And so we start to think, well, I need to be doing this thing over here because I'm really good at controlling that. We never say it like that, but I'm really good at controlling this thing, or people really like me and see me well when I'm here. But Paul knew he could leave Ephesus because God was everywhere. So if God was everywhere, that could free him up to serve anywhere. Y'all hear me on that? I want you to say that to somebody in the, pole, in the uh, pews next to you. Look at them and say, if God is everywhere, then that gives me the freedom to serve anywhere or to go anywhere. Right, so maybe there's something you need to change in your life. Maybe there's a different kind of way that you need to be doing your job. Maybe there's a talk you need to have with your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your friend group or your story group or whatever it might be. And maybe, just maybe, if you let God be a little bit bigger, it's gonna free up more of your time to do what is needed for you to do. See, you're not needed for everything, but you are needed for some things. Hey, you know what? We got some openings in Christ City Kids. There it is. There's the pitch. So I am saying yes, yes, You might not feel the most seen. You might not get all the good feelings. You might not feel like you're in control of something like you want to be, but you can still volunteer at Christ City Kids. You can still make that contribution and know that God's big. And thank you so much for all of you who do. I really appreciate that. And I'm off that soapbox now. So let's look back at the scriptures here. Uh, let's look at verse 23 together. Verse 23 says, after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phygria, strengthening all of the disciples. This is a huge success for Paul. This is a huge success. I wonder if many of us don't see this type of success in the kingdom of God because we are unwilling to let go of that control. To say that, you know what? Paul left there because he knew God was still there when he left. And so he went on to strengthen the brothers and the sisters throughout the churches because he could give up that control. He could have stayed in Ephesus. And he could have looked really humble about it, doing that. And yet, he would have ended up not doing what he was really called and meant to do. So let's look, continue to look in the scriptures here about these folks, Priscilla and Aquila, because they're really important. It says in Paul's things I did last month list that he left Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus. So let's pick up with them and see what happens in verse 24. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately so these folks are tent makers they're a couple and I do want you to realize and understand that while Paul met um, Aquila the man first in the previous chapter, they are always mentioned with the women's the woman's name first that's not on accident that probably means Priscilla was the stronger spiritual leader and intellect of that couple. And that she had more to contribute in some of these ways than her husband did. And that's important for us to see and to realize there in those scriptures. And for a lot of us in this room who are female, I think that this message might be a lot for you. I think there might be some ways in which we need you to step up in ways that you've never even thought about before and ways that you've never even considered that there are gifts and abilities that you have that we need. You don't need to do everything, but there's something important that you need to do that we need. So... Priscilla and Aquila are tent makers like Paul. They hung out with Paul. They obviously converted to Christianity and then Paul left them in Ephesus. He left them there because he knew they had something to offer. And so here they are listening to this young hotshot preacher. He's eloquent, he's learned, and he knows all this stuff and he's captivating to the people of the synagogue and he's preaching good news to them, although he doesn't know everything probably because he's a younger guy as part of it he might have heard something got so excited he ran around started talking about it before he got the whole message man I've never been guilty of that before never now Priscilla and Aquila are sitting here listening to this guy right and they got some choices don't they when they're listening to this hotshot, they could write them off right away and say, man, this dude thinks he knows everything. You know, they, if, if the church would just listen to us, we're older, we're wiser, just because we don't have that hotshot speaking gift and start getting into all of their resentment and skepticism and cynicism and those kind of things. And then just start little bad seeds floating around in the groups of people. I'm not just talking about preaching Some of us, we do this at work, we do this at home, we do this in our family, and it's not okay. It's not right. It's not okay to do that, but that's not what they did. Priscilla and Aquila saw this guy, And they said, we've got something to give in this situation. They had a right-sized idea of God for the situation. They knew that they could help this young man become even greater, to do what he was meant to do on an even greater level than he already was. And they realized that was their part, that they're not big, but they are a big deal. And that Paul left them there maybe for just such a situation. When Paul said, if it's God's will, I'll come back to Ephesus, he didn't mean if all the circumstances line up exactly the way he wanted them to for him to look real good, He just meant, and he just knew what Priscilla and Aquila knew, that sometimes the circumstances don't look anything the way you want them to. You're not in the position you want to be in, but there's a work that God has for you to do in that situation that you are in. Does somebody hear me right now? Somebody give me an amen. We're going to wake up this morning, Christ City. We're going to think with our hearts a little bit here, all right? So here's what happens they say something to him instead of what I would do if somebody was talking about something that I don't think is that great or they didn't get it quite right. Like the restaurant Las Delicias. Anybody like Las Delicias? All right, don't don't raise your hands too high. Here's the thing about Las Delicias. I have heard some people, certain kinds of people, that will remain nameless, talk about this restaurant like it's just the best Mexican food around in Memphis. I'm looking to see where y'all are right now. I can, I'll be able to tell by the look in your eyes. And you know what I gotta say to you? It's mediocre. It is mediocre Mexican food. And if you weren't awake, you are now because Mexican food is very serious in Memphis, Tennessee. So this is what I have done with those people. I have not confronted them directly until this point. (laughs) I have talked bad about them behind their backs. I have said, you know what? I can't believe so-and-so keeps talking about lost. It just ain't that great. There's really no hope for them when it comes to restaurant decisions. And I will do whatever I can to get out of having to let them pick where I go to eat because I got two kids five and three and I'm about to take it that lightly where I get to go out to eat when I get to go out to eat and so Priscilla and Aquila are much better than me because they didn't write this guy off because he didn't know everything right he didn't know everything about Mexican food and Jesus (laughs) They said, I've got something to offer. We have something to offer. And they took him aside to to instruct him and teach him the ways of the gospel and the Messiah in a more accurate and truthful way. Why don't we do this? Why are we afraid of these kind of confrontations so often where you might say to yourself in your toxic shame, I've got something to contribute here, but those folks are such superstars or they are so good at what they do. I don't think what I have to contribute, I don't think what what I might be able to illuminate for them is something I should say directly to them. I'm gonna talk about it. I'm gonna tell everybody else about it. And I'm going to make sure everybody knows the weakness or the hole in that great person's blind spot area. But I'm not going to talk to them. Because we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to put ourselves in a vulnerable situation. Because you could get hurt. That person could hurt you bad. I remember being a young person and trying to say something. And it not going well, and it hurt, and it took me years to get over the some of those things that happened in my life. But what happened on the other side of that is my God got bigger. Because when we don't, when we don't make the decision to talk and say something out loud about that situation where we don't have everything to contribute, but we do have something to contribute. We're believing that lie again, that God isn't big enough for me to have a meaningful part in this scenario, in this relationship, because it's not what I want it to look like. It's too uncomfortable. It takes too much of my free time. And so it must not be from God. If Paul had thought that way, dude would have never left Jerusalem. He would have just stayed around where it was comfortable, where people liked what he had to say, where they were already Christians, where they already could, could gel with everything that he was talking about and the way he was talking about it. Some of us will do that our whole lives and will blame God for it. We will miss dramatic life transforming opportunities And we'll say it wasn't God's will. What is that that passion you stuffed down a long time ago because you had so much hurt around it and you chalked it up to being just not God's will for your life? What would it mean to take that back out and to see what it felt like to pursue that against all odds with doors closing left and right, where you would have said, well, it's just not God's will. And instead you you said that God has put this passion and this desire in me to make this world a better place and nothing and no one will stop me from doing that thing. What would it look like in your life? Imagine where you will be 20 years from now if that's the way that you talk about God's will in your life. Yes, if God's will, let it be done. And in the meantime, I'm busting down every single door that gets in the way of the convictions and the passions to help And to make this world a better place, what would that look like for you? It might sound kind of unexciting like Priscilla and Aquila, but because of their faithfulness, because of their courage, their filledness with the faith and the bigness of God, they reached out to Apollo's. And look at what happens in verse 27 and 28, the last two verses in this passage. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. So Apollos goes from the the elders of the community, people saying, "Mm, he doesn't quite got the whole message, to this same community writing the dude letters of recommendation, This story could have gone very, very differently if Priscilla and Aquila were immature in how they understood who God was. So it's not just your story that's being affected by this. Not at all. Because Apollos goes on as we read in this passage, he says, it says in verse Uh, The second part of verse 28, on arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. He could not have done that without the powerful help of Priscilla and Aquila. He could not have done that if he didn't have the humility to listen to them. Because here's what Apollos had to know. He had to know for himself that while he had these gifts and these abilities as a teacher and a speaker and one who had had the privilege and the opportunity to learn as he had, that he was not big. He was a big deal. And so he knew that he still had things to learn and that God wasn't just working in him. God is working everywhere at all times and all people. There could be somebody that you don't respect, that you don't like, and you don't think they have anything to teach you. And God will speak straight through their mouth to you. Will you listen or will you ignore it and stay in your petty little circles and not get out into the wide blue that God is calling you to? And again, I'm not talking about travel. It could be travel for you. But it probably isn't. It's probably stuff you gotta do in here and right out here. So we've got Paul who can say, You guys are gonna be good. I'm going on to what God has called me to. We've got Priscilla and Aquila that say, we don't have the same kind of gifts, but we have something to contribute to this person. And we have Apollos, a man of great gifts and passion, who is willing to say, I've got some of it, but I don't got it all. And what is the result, people? What do we see here? We we see that Apollos was a great help to those who by grace had believed and that he could refute and show how Jesus was the Christ because of the instruction he was willing to receive. And so that's what I want us to think about right now. Where in your life have you quarantined the activity of God to things that are comfortable, things that work out easy for you, things that don't require a confrontation at your job, in your family, with your friends, And you just chalk it up to, well, it just must be God's will. Memphis is always going to be like this. So I'm not going to bother volunteering. I'm not going to bother putting my hand to the plow doing these things. I just got to get what's mine. You won't have this kind of story. So I want to challenge you as we close. To believe and the bigness of God. That whatever size you've thought He is, He's bigger. And that's good news for you and anyone who's in the vicinity of you, the more you believe that, because you have something important to give. You don't have everything to give, but you have something to give, and it's very important. As we get ready to take communion together uh, this morning, um, Diane uh, felt uh, God giving her a message that there are people here this morning who have some long-lasting and have lived with for a long time heartbreak and heartache. And that maybe you can't believe any of that because the scars on your heart have blocked out the ability to believe in those things. We want to pray for you this morning after communion. We will have people to the right and the left as we always do to pray for you. And I want you to have the courage to ask for prayer. I want you to have the courage to believe in a bigger God to say, well, I'm going to go home and pray about it. How's that worked for you so far? If you've been carrying those scars for a long time, then it isn't working and you need help and that's the beautiful blessing of the people of God gathered together. So let me pray for us. And I, I, I want us to, I want to see people reaching out and asking for prayer. I know I'm not the only one who's ever had a broken, sad heart before. I'm not saying it has to be because you broke up with somebody or anything like that. It could be, but doesn't have to be. But just that you get prayer and that you open up about those things and find healing, a road to healing in your life. So let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for the table where you remind us as we come to receive that we're not everywhere and we can't do everything, but you meet us everywhere. And you meet us at this table of fellowship where you provide for us a place to be reminded of how much you love us and how much you are there for us in the midst of difficult decisions. And so I pray as we come to the table this morning, as we ingest the bread and the wine, that we would be encouraged about the bigness of who you are as we walk around in your presence and your presence within us. In Jesus' name, amen.